ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell and Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, how are you doing this morning? Nathan, I'm just thrilled that you did the intro because I never want to do the intro again. <laughs> Last time we uh, were on with Scott Garceau, uh, Nathan's nose just exploded. Yeah. Uh, he had been fighting a terrible cold. And dude, you were dashing out of here so quick. I know to get tissues or whatnot, and you were like, "Hey, Greg, just just do the intro." <laughs> I was like, uh, "Hi, welcome to uh, welcome to the Tonight Show." And uh, uh, I'm Jay Leno. Yeah. Oh wait, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, he's, he's not there anymore, is he? And uh, it's good to see you back there, my friend. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's good to be back, and you know, much more than the uh, bloody nose. I woke up the next morning, and there was like goop coming out of my eyes, oh. and they were bloodshot, and it, it was a bit of nastiness. But um, feeling so much better, and uh, so yeah, thanks. And um, we also have uh, Dave Shive joining us. Dave, how you doing today? I'm doing fine. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, on this uh, six thirty Tuesday morning. Wow, uh, sure thing. I think, uh, Greg, we were talking about it. This is the earliest we have ever podcast. I think it is. Well, we knew that we could get Dave to do it because, you know, Dave's old. And uh, <laughs> Dave, isn't that somewhere in Ecclesiastes, right? The old people up with the, the sound of the chirping birds and that sort of thing. Right. So, yeah. uh, you our know. Te- it also says that our teeth fall out yeah. when we lose our hair. But I haven't lost my hair. Some people have. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know who you're talking about, Dave. But. Um, so, Dave, I mean, being an old person, I mean, is that sort of like, are, are you guys eating dinner down there at 3 o'clock? Um, you know, at Denny's. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the early bird special turning into bed, well, what, around 6.30? Uh, we, we like to watch uh, Wheel of Fortune while we eat, you know. <laughs> That's... So we, uh, you know, we kind of build our schedules around Wheel of Fortune every day. Dude, that is perfect. You have just described so many of my summer vacations in Florida at my grandparents' house growing up. Wheel of Fortune on, and um, yeah. yeah, that's uh, no. But you're you're calling in this morning, Dave, because we thought it was uh, rather an early hour for you to drive all the way up here north from Catonsville, where you live. Um, and uh, we're just glad you could call in. And uh, I'm sorry, Dave, that you don't actually get to see me during this podcast. Well, at this hour of the morning, it really makes it a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Notice how I set him up, Nate. I know. You just yeah. lobbed it right there for him. Um, so, yeah, on today's podcast, we just we want to start right off. Um, the first question that we want to talk about is uh, why is Donald Trump so popular, particularly <laughs> among evangelicals? Um, why, you know, why is it that he's gaining all this notoriety, all this press? People are flocking to him and the things that he's saying. Um, and it's understandable to a certain extent, but why is it that evangelical Christians are clinging to this guy? And I'm going to let you guys go ahead and talk about that a little bit while I sip on my drink. Yes, his strawberry colada from mm-hmm. Dunkin' Donuts does look appealing. Oh my goodness, looks, sounds awful. Look, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got coffee, Dave, uh, uh, Dave, as I'm sure you've got or have had already this morning. Um, yeah, I'm holding up my mug right now. Good, good. Well, I, I have to ask you, Dave, when I, I, I really, even to this point, I'm going to discredit myself at the beginning of the podcast, have not followed the, you know, early formations of the presidential debates and candidates, etc. I, I mean, I know generally speaking, I actually had to look up the other day who the, what, 47 uh, Republican candidates are right now or however many there are. 
But you know, obviously Trump's getting a lot of press. And I, when I heard about this a few months ago, I sort of chuckled to myself and said, "Oh, that's a funny little publicity stunt." Um, mm-hmm. And I, I never expected <laughs> months later he would even be a subject of conversation. Other than, yeah. hey, remember when Trump was declaring for president yeah. again? You know, such and such. And I'm curious, Dave, to get your, you know, did you have the same take, the same general impression? Well, I'm pretty much mystified by almost everybody who's running yeah. uh, on both sides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, people, but the thing that interests me, you know, uh, the evangelical question aside, evangelicals are a different issue, which we will talk about, but just in general, the 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 buzz that Trump has uh, created, and my question is, why aren't we buzzing about all these people? Most of them seem unfit to me. Yeah, you know. And sure, yeah, he's you know he's outside the box. He's a non-politician. He's outside the Beltway, and even and so he he gives the illusion that he's a maverick and he's gonna you know not play the game the way it's been played and and that's probably true he wouldn't but nevertheless uh you know I look at the whole field and there's very few things that get my juices going at all yeah and yeah. you know so people you know are saying how can a guy like Donald Trump run for uh, president I want to know how a woman like Hillary Clinton can run for president too right right you know, how, how can uh, a guy like Joe Biden run for president yeah yeah. Uh, yeah and then you got you know the rest of the Republican field too so I think it's just generally mystifying to me and it's a statement as to the state of politics in America that this is even happening I think yeah in other words Dave I think you and I've talked about this in the past um regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, in terms of quality candidates, just looking at people that, you know, are, uh, you know, are, are uh, you know, as you said, a fit for the office. We, we've come a long way, haven't we, from the days of uh, John Adams, uh, Thomas <laughs> Jefferson. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes it seems buffoonish um, to tune in. And, you know, Saturday Night Live, for instance, doesn't have to work very hard to right. even even caricature some of these candidates, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, to yeah. me, just to go back to Trump briefly, the the amusing thing about Trump to me was, oh, he is a caricature out of the gate. Um, you know, I don't know. He's the he's the apprentice guy. You're fired. The horrible comb over. The brash statements. You know, the sort of you know uh, scandalous uh, inquirer like divorces and bankruptcies and all these things that have you know you've seen in you know about Trump in the news. I don't know. You just—it almost seems like a barroom joke, you know. So yeah. uh, that that you would mention him, and it does seem that if you could go back—I don't know—to these early debates among our founding um, and the caliber of men who debated and uh, knew things, it's uh, it is kind of comical. You almost wonder yeah. if, if everybody could look forward two hundred plus years. It, is, is this real? I mean, it's yeah. it's a serious. A serious platform that people are standing on, uh, but right. but but talk to us, Dave, a little since you you've have followed it more than I have. Uh, when you mentioned Hillary Clinton or Biden, um, I mean I think I know, but just for the sake of those listening in, I mean give give me your general take. What is it about them that you say, come on, give me a break? Well, I, I don't think that. Um, I mean, they're different. They're very different people. Their track records are quite a bit different also. Uh, I think the whole idea that 
you know, if if Hillary was not married to a former president, the idea that she would even be in the conversation is pretty remote. Yeah. Uh, So she's, to a large degree, whether she wants to admit it or like it or not, you know, she's riding on her husband's coattails. And so, you know, once they left the White House, you know, she was uh, going to be upwardly mobile. And, uh, but she's left, but the, the uh, moral vacuum in her life is so great. Yeah. And in her husband's life that they can't help but leave, but have tons of skeletons in their closet. And those are all coming out. And people are um, now have an opportunity to see who she really is. And no matter how she wants to package herself, and yet she's still the best candidate that the Democrats have with all of the garbage in her life. And so that amazes me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, her actual politics aside, just the lack of character and integrity is staggering. And uh, and then all the other stuff. Then Biden, who um, he, he was, uh, he chaired the, uh, didn't he lead the Borking of Bork? He did, yes. And uh, he had such, uh, I disagreed with him. I didn't like him then, but I thought he had a certain gravitas at that time. Uh-huh. And, uh, but since he's become president, I don't know if it's age is catching up with him. He's become such a buffoon. Right. You know, that it's hard to understand how now he's, he's the guy, you know, I think the, the news today is that he's the guy that can, you know, knock off Hillary and get the Democratic nomination. Wow. Yeah. What, what have we come to? Yeah. That, that these are the top two. And you got Martin O'Malley, who's, I thought was going to be, you know, the darling of the Democrats because he's got the buff body and the good looks and right. the charm and the Irish music and everything, but uh, he hasn't gained any traction. And I don't know that they care that he pretty much ruined the economy in the state of Maryland and you know, during his governorship. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that just uh, makes me wonder what's going on in our political system. And that's just on the Democratic side. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, interesting, Dave, what you say about Biden, because Lisa and I were talking about this the other night. And uh, I already uh, referenced uh, Saturday Night Live and their political satire, which is always fun to watch, you know, once we get near the, you know, election season um, to see how they caricature these these um, uh, candidates. But I mean, Lisa said, can you imagine if you were watching a debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? I, I, I don't even know if you would need to do anything but show the tape, um, you know, because, yeah, that term, I have heard that term used about both, that there's a buffoonish quality. Um, yeah. So many. Also, he's also creepy. Yeah. Know. Uh, you know, have you seen the clips of him uh, nuzzling and hugging and kissing and almost groping women? No, I have not. I mean, it's all this fawning, clawing kind of emotional uh, body language with, with especially with women that is just like you just feel like you need to take a shower yeah. if you see the clips. Now, hold on. Is it, this is Biden or Trump? Biden. This is Biden. Okay, I I, I haven't yeah. seen that. I mean, I I've seen Dave some of the older stuff uh, with Biden. I mean, that's oh my goodness. I mean, some are. You, I mean, some you feel bad for Dave. I mean, you and I have both been in public speaking venues uh, 
for for some time. So we uh, we've all made slips, but the um, the one I think in '08 when he's at some political rally in Pennsylvania. Oh, should I even laugh about this? Yeah, I've already started. Um, where he uh, is talking about a state senator. I can't remember his name. I just remember his name was, was Chuck somebody or other. And he says, and state senator Chuck so-and-so, stand up, Chuck. You, yeah, right. And then you see his face sort of drop. And he goes, oh, oh, God love you. What am I talking about? Because the guy's paralyzed in a wheelchair. <laughs> you would think yeah. the most basic understanding of who this guy is. You would not oh, ask man. him to stand. And yeah. um, then I think, who was it? It was, uh, I mean, some top dog in Ireland uh, was was here, and it was St. Patrick's Day, and he was making a, a few comments, and uh, he referred to the guy's, you know, mother. He says, I met his dear mother years ago. God rest her soul. And you see some assistant run up to him quickly that, oh, she's she's alive. She's actually here. <laughs> <laughs> God bless her soul. So yeah. you, you, you've got so many of those, uh, you know, sort of gaffes uh, yeah. that, that you know roll out. And Trump alone. I mean, and, and oh, I, I bet some listeners want to know, Dave, because obviously, I don't think it's any big secret that a number of conservative Christians are uh, Republican and vote. Uh, so we've got many of them here in my church. Um, a lot of people are very drawn to Ben Carson, and uh, because mm-hmm. he, he is a local man, obviously uh, that was at Hopkins for years as a pediatric neurosurgeon. Um, just curious to get your thoughts. Some might say, "Hey, are you are you dismissing this guy as uh, a non quality candidate?" I'd, I'd love to get your take. Well, I think the whole process has uh, taken a turn that has surprised me. Mm-hmm. Uh, from from the beginning, I said, uh, you know, Carson. When I saw the debate, the Republican debate, there was, what, 10 guys up there um, on Fox. Was, uh, and um, I said to my wife, Ben Carson has more integrity than the rest of that group combined. Yeah, wow. You know, he's, he's, he's the most decent person. He's the only person up there that I would trust. Now, that being said, I also thought and said from the beginning that I didn't think he had a chance of becoming president, that he would be absolutely savaged uh, because he's not a politician. And so, but I said the same about Trump too, and they're both surprising us. Yeah. And, and, and I think that speaks to almost the inevitability of a Trump and a Carson at this point. It's almost inevitable. We could have, we should have expected it, that there is such a disgust with the, state of politics in America that people who have virtually zero political experience, which Obama basically had too, but mm-hmm. that's a different story, but people who had have virtually zero political experience are front runners or high in the polls in the Republican Party. And that just says people in America are not voting with Philosophically, in terms of you know the economy or the defense or you know whatever you know the political issues are, they're voting out of disgust. It's a reaction. Yeah, and uh, in other words, it's I, I mean obviously in '08, uh, McCain, Palin were were playing you know the quote unquote maverick card. Um, yeah, and uh, 
obviously it didn't it didn't play for them, and I'm sure a lot of that had to do with the uh, you know 08 uh, you know, bubble burst with the housing market and you know, yeah. everything went in the tank. What in October that year, I think it mm-hmm. was. Yeah. you know, in terms of timing for a, an an incumbent party candidate, you know, that I don't think anybody would really stand a chance. But um, yeah. the Maverick car did not work. Apparently, it did not have the appeal. And uh, are you thinking here, heading into 2016, that's what it's about? Just people want an outsider? Well, yeah, to a degree. The problem with the Maverick card with McCain and Palin is that I think McCain is the quintessential insider. Yeah. You know, and so it was an oxymoron to pair those two. Yeah. You know, yeah, she would be a Maverick for whatever that's worth. Uh, but I don't think he has a Maverick bone in his body, frankly. Yeah. You know, and so then you've got, uh, they just didn't fit. It was like, you know, two, you look at a couple sometimes say, how did those two end up together? Right, right. Haven't, you know, and that's, haven't people said that, Dave, about you and Kathy? Like, why did she marry him? Well, yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and with good reason. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would argue that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the, the Maverick thing, I think, is in play here. Uh, it's just that the front runners, you see, Palin ended up being a, a vice presidential nominee, and uh, the front runner, McCain, was the insider. He was not a maverick. And I think now you've got a legitimate maverick, uh, Donald Trump, with a capital M maverick, you know, who's way outside the Beltway and uh, off the charts, you know, philosophically and everything else. Then you've got Carson, who is, who I think would make a far better president than uh, Trump, who has surprised me. He surprised me in the debate. I thought he would be torn to shreds. I thought he wouldn't have good answers, but he had some really good answers. Interesting. And so I think he's being handled well, and I think he's improved from his early days when he kept putting his foot in his mouth. Yeah. But I would rather have someone who uh, doesn't know all the answers and uh, and who you can trust than someone who uh, has an answer for everything and doesn't have integrity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so I think Carson is appealing on that basis. Right, right. So what do you think it is, Dave, then, about Trump? Uh, because uh, we were uh, emailing back and forth. Uh, in the last day or so, there was that article, what, in the New Atlantic Monthly, uh, which I assume was from a secular perspective, that this, sort of this guy looking at this intriguing development, and I don't have all the stats mm-hmm. in front of me, about the number of professed evangelicals that are loving Trump in light yeah. of some of his statements, uh, even recent ones. The one I think that the uh, that the author highlighted was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but didn't Trump say something like when he was asked, have you ever asked God to forgive you for anything? And he said, he said no, um, which is one of the most baffling statements yeah. I've ever heard. I mean, it is, yeah. I will say, it is, you might say, shockingly refreshing because, <laughs> you know, all the way back to the yeah. prince, you know, the prince, yeah. right, by uh, uh, Machiavelli, you know, the idea was yeah. to appear um, pious uh, whether you are or aren't. Um, yeah. So you've got him saying that. I know he's got a track record of being strongly pro choice until recently. Um, I mean, uh, he's dropped the F-bomb in several places, you know, in public yeah. settings. And, you know, just a guy you would not think evangelical Christians would resonate with. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that uh, 
you know, in watching that debate, um, the thing that struck me was that when Trump was about to speak, I started paying attention. When the other guys talked, it was like gnats droning. It's like, I'm, in my mind, I'm saying, boring. There's yeah. nothing new here. You know, I look at Chris Christie and Ted Cruz and Walker and uh, these other guys, and it's like, yeah, they all have different positions, but it's more of the same. Yeah. When you, when you distill it down, <clears throat> there's no fresh thinking. They're more concerned about getting a, uh, winning an office than they are in actually being true leaders. It's not, you know, I didn't see true leadership up there. Yeah. And I've looked, you know, across those 10 people in that debate. And, and by the way, we, we haven't gotten to Carly Fiorina yet, uh, who I think deserves at least a little mention here. Right, right. But nevertheless, I looked across that platform and I thought, you know, the only two people that actually, I think, have something to say, whether you agree or disagree, are Trump and Carson. Yeah. And it's, it's just refreshing. And, and I think, you know, the evangelicals, I don't think evangelicals have ever been uh, noted for astute political thinking. Yeah. No, you know, we've, we pretty much have walked in lockstep on a couple of issues and, and been Republican. And, uh, you know, so it doesn't really matter whether it's, uh, you know, whoever it might be, it's going to be a Republican candidate. And uh, the more they don't look like a Democrat, uh, the more likely it is that I'll vote for them. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, so Dave, you mentioned again, and I'm asking you, uh, because I haven't followed it. Have, have you followed it too much, David? No, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is, Dave, this is our sort of apolitical attempt yeah. at addressing a political subject. Yeah, well, right. and... I mean, here, here, here's my take on it, and you know, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I've heard all too often when talking with Christians and talking about voting, you know, you always hear, well, you know, it's your right, it's your duty as an American to vote, and you should vote, and vote. And, and don't get me wrong, I agree with it, and up until, um, well, in all of the current elections so far that I've been able to vote, I've gone out and voted. I've tried to make myself as intelligent as possible about the candidates. Um, usually it's, it's within the week that I go out and I do some major research on the ones who are left in the running. Um, and, and I do that research and I, you know, try to figure out where they stand on certain issues that to me, I can't compromise on. Mm -hmm. And so those are the ones that I kind of go out and, and, and will vote for. Um, but I feel like, in this election, unless you have someone like Ben Carson, like you were saying, Dave, who has that moral integrity, um, because yeah, Don, because Donald Trump is is such a maverick, he can say whatever he wants, but it doesn't mean that he's going to honor the things that he's saying. Mm -hmm. right. So let's say we come to the election, and and it, it is a choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I don't know that as a Bible-believing Christian, I have the confidence to vote for either of sure. them. Right. And so as yeah. Christians, can we just say that, you know what, it's okay that as American Christians, if we don't see an option out there that we feel is going to um, do this country justice, that we just don't vote? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. is, is that too taboo and sacred? No, 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 you have to vote. Even if it's – and I hear this all the time – even if it's the lesser of two evils. 
Really? Is that what we're called to do as Christians is to, yeah. you know, support the lesser of two evils? Right. Um, well, that's, so, that, that, go I mean, ahead, that's a topic. That's a topic I was uh, – sorry for cutting you off, Nathan, but oh, no, no. I, I wanted to say that that's a topic that I think is worthy of a podcast. Yeah. Is it morally obligatory for Christians or anybody to vote? Mm-hmm. Because I have – I have called that into question myself, just living in the state of Maryland, where I feel like, regardless of my position, my vote really is is meaningless. Why am I even taking the time to... I only have to walk across the street to the polls. I don't have to drive and go through a lot of hassle. Why do I want to do that? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, because it's really not going to make any difference. And then on top of that, even if you like a candidate for Republican or Democrat, uh, if you like the candidate and can really get behind them, when they get in office, is it actually going to be any different? Right. Mm. And so there's a certain cynicism towards the whole process that makes me say, well, if Ben Carson, say, a man with integrity, no political background, say he became president, he's still got to deal with Congress. Right, yeah. And who's going to be in Congress, and how and and uh, how much polarization is there going to be? And so it goes deeper in that sense, to the very state of politics in our country where it's not about what's best for the country, it's what's best for our party and what's best for my political career. And so I I think that would be uh, a a great podcast topic is just trying to get some discussion and debate on whether it's even necessary for Christians to say, well, we have to vote because that, you know, that was earned for us by those who shed their blood and all that kind of thing. I understand that. I just think it's, it's up for discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Dave. And I think your point, Nathan, I, we've all been in that spot where you're looking at it. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to get inspired by the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, you know, there are times that just think, you know, okay, what's going to happen is going to happen. And again, not to over-spiritualize it, but I, I think I know the three of us have talked about this in other venues, that nothing changes in terms of the mission of the church. Yeah. Uh, right. when, you know, when we had uh, Steve Hartland on, Dave, uh, a month or two ago, we, we did one on the uh, on the SCOTUS decision, you know, of gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, you know, there was just a sense that I think we all had talking that nothing changes for the church. Um, right. You know, and, and there is almost an, an apocalyptic feel among certain segments of Christianity that, oh my word, if this happens, then, then what? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. what can you imagine Christians in North Korea, um, you know, what they've been living under, you know, you know, Christians yeah, out the whole right. world, underground church in China, uh, for, yeah. you know, for all these years, it, it does seem strange that there is a, uh, we attach ourselves to these political candidates and almost view them as extensions of the kingdom of God on earth. And, yeah. If you don't feel that way to begin with, uh, which I have increasingly distanced myself from over the years, I, I'll be honest, it's hard to get motivated. I mean, I, I'm actually yeah. now, because so many Christians are talking about it, we have a number of wonderful people here in our own church um, that are very involved with the, the Carson campaign, and they'll talk to me about it from time to time. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested just on a personal level because uh, good friends of ours um, – Oh boy, when their little girl, this must have been about 16 years ago, she's a little younger than my daughter, you know, uh, had a baby with a spina bifida. Ben Carson uh, did her surgery when she was two days yeah. old. And they said what it was to be in his office and to talk to this man who separated, 
twins in Africa. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm yeah. interested on a personal level, but people ask me, what do you think of the candidates? And I, at some point, Lisa keeps saying, great, you got to get some measure of credibility. You know nothing. Um, so you're even talking, Dave, about the Fox debate, right? Is um, I didn't even see that. Is that the one where Trump got so angry at uh, Megyn Kelly? Yeah. Okay. And I wasn't I wasn't going to watch that. My sister and her husband, who you had on your podcast, yeah, they uh, were, were here from Germany, and they can't get unfiltered American political stuff in Germany. And so I, w- I was only half aware the debate was even on, and I wasn't going to watch it, but they were really insistent that they wanted to watch it. I'm glad they did because it was ex- extremely interesting. But, uh, yeah, it's like I, don't, I really don't care. It doesn't change anything. Trump, Carson, Walker, Cruz, Clinton, uh, Biden, O'Malley, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. not going to change anything at this state of uh, affairs unless there is a breakthrough into the very system itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've often thought, that. can you imagine if everybody that ran – truly was, I think your, your point, a person of integrity and, and was committed to being a problem solver. I, I, that's what yeah. frustrates me. You're right. You, you're interested to hear, what do you do about the immigration issue? You know, what, what do you do about public education? What do, I mean, I think a number of people would be interested in real solutions that are yeah. creative, that are outside the box. And so much of it is just the canned, bland speeches, you know, where you make sure to say education is important. It's the bedrock of ours. And then some pablum, useless uh, you know, bit of drivel that they drop and they move on and the next guy says the same thing. So uh, on that point, Dave, I have thought Trump, um, the one thing I did hear him say that I will say was refreshing uh, and caught my interest, I don't know if you heard this, was when he was asked about donating uh, large sums of money <clears throat> pardon me, to, to candidates uh, from every party. You know, he's given money to the Clintons, given money to the Bushes, given money to Romney, you know, all, all in all, uh, you know, I, I think I have that right. He's given money indiscriminately to people and right. they, they try to trap him on it. And his answer was, yeah, you're, you're darn right I did that. Um, and he said, because I'm a businessman and I knew at some point I'm going to need a favor. And yeah. um, he just basically made the point, this is how corrupt the system is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I knew for a fact if I gave money to this person or that person, I did have to say, you don't hear answers like that too often. Right. Yeah. I really, I appreciate that about him, even though I think, uh, <clears throat> I think he would be a terrible president and I think there would be, uh, uh, such a backlash from Congress against him that it would be impossible for him to govern. Yeah. And did you ever have the fear as I do, um, uh, Somebody said this to me recently, picturing Trump in a room, tension charged, full of Middle Eastern world leaders. Um, <laughs> does, does that make anyone else uncomfortable? Right. Uh, I'd like to see him and Putin in the same room. Yeah. I know. <laughs> would be, maybe they could both take off their shirts and ride horses. Um, right. That would be, boy, that would be a picture for the ages, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys had anything else that you wanted to discuss or bring up um, on this topic. I don't want to cut you off, but uh, we do have a few minutes left. Um, so I wanted to go ahead into our um, second topic, which was what we had talked about a few weeks ago when you were on Dave birth control. 
Uh-huh. Um, and there were uh, – Greg and I actually got a uh, Facebook message that was rather uh, passionate mm-hmm. about this. And um, so, Greg, I'm going to let you go ahead and start that off for us. Um, this woman had Facebooked us and was talking about us continuing. And so you go ahead and uh, – Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if I even told you about that, Dave. Nathan and I got this message from uh, uh, a woman who, who expressed herself well. She was She was passionate. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it was me. Uh, I don't think she identified uh, which of us maybe hit the uh, offensive trigger. Uh, normally, Dave, of course, that's you. I mean, we know well, of course. if somebody's going to be offended, it's because of something you've yeah. said, not that I've said. Because I have a velvet touch, Dave. Um, well, that's on podcast. If it was in person, they would take one look at you yeah. and they would be offended. <laughs> that is true. And notice it was not a woman from our church. So, uh, yeah, that would have uh, ensured that it was me if she was here. But uh, had the sense, and I, I listened back to that, and again, that was a day, uh, as you just mentioned, we had uh, your sister Tammy and her husband Joe here with us, and that, mm-hmm. was, that was great, by the way, uh, just, just to hear their life in Germany mm-hmm. and uh, you know the state of the church there, the state of Christianity there. Uh, so that's where we wanted to, to devote the bulk of our time, but at the beginning, I don't know, we might have gone 15, 20 minutes on this birth control subject. And uh, I, I probably said a few things there that I could understand her perspective that may have sounded like I was sort of against Christians having large families or, uh-huh. or ridiculing them. And uh, I want to apologize for that to any of our listeners, past, present, or potentially future, because um, I, I don't think that. Uh, we, we have a number of friends that uh, have large families. I mean, some people consider our family large. Uh, we have four, and uh, you know we are blessed. We got two boys and two girls. I know Dave, you yourself have three, and a mm-hmm. uh, uh, number of grandchildren, and um, uh, certainly do not feel that way. I was talking specifically about a almost an unthinking approach to uh, raising a family, having a family that is simply hearing one snippet. Um, Christians should have large families, go, uh, without thinking about it. And I think you had right. made uh, the point uh, in that podcast that people pray about everything. Uh, and we would say, you know, prayerful decision-making is uh, a <laughs> pretty necessary component to Christian living. So why would we do that with everything but the number of children we, we have just sort of accept right. at the outset, Hey, if God gives us 12 or 15 or 20, we'll take it as it comes. Um, mm-hmm. more asking people, is that something the Bible's demanding of us? And I think you and I are both of the same take that. No, we would not say it is demanding that of us, uh, that right. Christians go out and have large families. That's what I was trying to, um, trying to zero in on and I hope I've clarified the issue. Maybe I've made it worse. Sure. So come in Dave and save, uh, save my reputation here. <laughs> like I think, I, I think it's way too late for yeah, that. I, I do too. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that, um, it's one of the most important decisions people make. And, uh, and, and you know, whether you're going to limit or take one, all limits off, and in either direction, it's a crucial decision. And so, obviously, uh, you know, for people to pray about that, and then also, I think, to get some counsel. Just go to somebody that you respect and say, 
listen, you know, this is what we're wrestling with. Uh, can you help us gain some perspective on this? You know us, you know our lives, you know, and here's our reasons for thinking we want to either limit or not, you know, just have as many kids as we possibly can in our lifetime, whichever extreme we might be at, um, to get some counsel on that and, and say, help us think through this issue. And I think that's all, that was my concern. I think, and, uh, and I think I said that in my experience, there are people who've made decisions both ways who have not done that. Yeah. And, you know, that they haven't really given prayer to it or they haven't sought counsel or both. And so for, you know, for the big issues, like who we're going to marry, you go to you go to the parents of your future spouse. You go you talk to people. Say I'm really in love with this person. You want you want to get some perspective. Why wouldn't we do that on this issue also? Right, right. Yeah, I think I think that's key, Dave. Because you had made the point last time. You're, I mean, I know people that just say, well, you know, we've we you know we had a boy and then we had a girl, so we knew we were done. And it's probably worth worth asking in the context of a good relationship, not just sort of a on the street conversation. Hey, why why would that make you think you were done? Right, um, exactly. You know, just just to hear a person express, you know, okay, I've got a boy and I got a girl, so I don't need any more. You would think, okay, uh, talk to me more about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because you know, w- would you also say, well, you know, I've uh, you know, I've got blue eyes. My wife has brown, and uh, so far we've got two <laughs> kids with brown eyes. We, we we need to keep trying until we get the one with blue. I mean, it almost sounds silly, but uh, the yeah. way some people look at it. Because I do think some people just assume, well, <clears throat> it costs a lot of money to have kids or pain. Yeah. So you know we're we're, we're going to have we're going to have two <clears throat> and no more. And you know, again, I do think that uh, praying and thinking through these issues carefully with Christians uh, is is critical. And I'll, I'll up the stakes a little bit, Dave. Uh, I know some <laughs> Christians that say, "Hey, look, I'm not going to get you know all bent out of shape about Christians using birth control at times." Uh, throughout their lives, you know, it might be health issues, it might be uh, uh, financial issues, residential issues, and where people have to stay and live. But um, I cannot, this is what I've heard some people express, support permanently altering your reproductive system, uh, whether that's a vasectomy, whether that's having tubes tied, mm-hmm. etc. That is, I've, I've had people tell me uh, with, with great passion, that's mutilation, that's playing God. Uh, so notice, Dave, I asked the hard question, but ask you to answer it. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't all surgery um, mutilation? And you know, usually it's to correct a problem right. um, that might be life-threatening, but some, you know, are more for convenience. <laughs> you know, I have uh, an ongoing battle with uh, skin cancers and, and um, basal cell. And uh, I get my bo- I got my body mutilated a number of times. Yeah. Just uh, sometimes it was uh, because it could get worse, but other times it was just purely cosmetic. It's like you know you got a giant growth on your nose or something. And anybody's going to want to fix that. So if you possibly can, so I don't think I don't understand that. Uh, although I mean I do understand it, but at the same time I don't think that's a compelling argument. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the worst arguments, generally speaking, is that it costs a lot to raise kids. I just, I, I think that that is a bill of goods that has been sold us by our culture. Yeah. That we restrict the number of kids uh, we have on the basis of, um, of finances. 
And when you look at how evangelicals spend their money, I just think it's shameful to use that as an argument. Right. You know, you have you have cable, you've got a television, three televisions in your house, you've got uh, a boat, you take expensive vacations. Where are you going to cut corners? We'll cut corners on how many kids we have. Right. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. well, does that really make sense? And what does that tell you about how we prioritize uh, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means, how, how we use, uh, how we steward the resources he's given us. That the air, It's like churches that say we're having financial problems. First thing that we cut is missions. Right. The spread of the gospel is the first thing. We can't cut salaries. Right. We can't do anything about our facility. We can't uh, try to trim, you know, how we, uh, our utility bill or, you know, paving the parking lot. It's got to be missions. And the same with parents who use the financial argument. I just think it's lame. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and part of that, too, Dave, is that, you know, so many parents, when you boil it down, often comes down to college uh, because, you you know, kids have a way of just falling in to the, the pack with your life and pace of your life. You know, kids get right. used to living in the kind of house that hopefully you can afford within your budget. Kids get used to, yeah. you know, eating the kind of food you're going to eat. You know, you, you might not be going out, you know, uh, eight sure. times eight times a week. Uh, to, uh, you know, different restaurants and that sort of thing. But uh, when I talk to parents, they say, well, college. And what I find interesting, this could be another podcast uh, topic a lot, is the amount of parents, I mean, I'm talking really wonderful, committed believers that I know, that just almost talk as if, well, college is a, I mean, you have to incur massive sums of lifelong debt. Um, you, you, you know you're going to have to do that. I think, wait a minute, what, do you have to do that? Um, right. You know, yeah. and, and I, we've got good friends here uh, that have four kids like we do. They're about 10 or 15 years farther down the path than we are. So uh, they've told us, they've told their kids, look, we, we don't have the money. Uh, so, you know, work hard. Uh, mm-hmm. Try to get scholarships. If you can't, you can start off at community college um, <clears throat> and work a little here, work a little there. And it's almost as if some parents think that's unheard of. Um you know, that college is this divine birthright or something. Have you? Exactly. Yeah. I assume, Dave, I mean, you've, you've, you're farther down the path than I am and you've walked that road. I mean, have, have you encountered that same mentality? Well, my first priority, Kathy and I, from the moment we got married was to be committed to giving to the work of the Lord and to do it gladly and generously and in increasing amounts. Yeah. We made that commitment early on. I don't hear these parents talking about their passion to give more generously to the work of the Lord. Yeah. And that's what we did. And so our finances were really in the hands of the Lord. If I'd taken everything I'd given to the Lord's work and put it in accounts for my kids' college education, I would have had a ton of money saved up. Yeah. Uh, But I felt like that, and I kept telling the Lord, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, what my kids are going to do about college. I don't make that kind of money. We're barely surviving anyway. We give to the work of the Lord. We're trying to be faithful to you, Lord. And so I put that in your hands. And then, amazingly, my three kids all went to college. Two of them finished, and it cost me almost next to nothing. Yeah. And they didn't have any any loans to pay off either. Yeah. Now, how, how does that happen? Well, I can't guarantee that if you're faithful in giving to the Lord, that's going to happen to you, but I can say that's my story. Sure. And it just, uh, and how do we limit God by saying, if, you know, that I have to do this? I haven't prayed about it. 
it's just the divine right of my kids to go to college. We'll have loans. I'm just going to have to really bite the bullet and we'll be in debt for a long time. No, come on. Let's, let's get God into the equation. Yeah. 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 And I think Dave, that's, that's part of it. I mean, when I, when I talk to parents and, and about kids, that fear is there all the time. And it was so liberating for me, obviously knowing you, Dave, you've told me some of these things in the past and talking to other parents that aren't, aren't really crippled by that. They just think, Hey, you know, I mean, part of it is their kids when they become adults can decide what they're going to do about college. Uh, when they hit 18, if they take out their loans, if they, you know, what they do, but there is a sense in which when I heard that, I'm like, Oh, I got the freedom to go to my kids and say, Hey guys, here's where we are. This is what, you know, we, we can do. I, my parents had two kids. So their deal was, and they were able to do it, which is great, that they would cover undergrad expenses on their own. Any graduate uh, degrees that I got, my brother got, were on were on us. And that wasn't even in a believing context at that time. So um, I, I do think that's a, uh, a, a big part of it. Um, I wanted to go back, Dave, to the idea of mutilation that you had mentioned earlier. I think that's a, that's a good point. Taken to an extreme, um, mutilation... Uh, would rule out uh, surgeries of, of almost any type because you are mutilating the body whenever you mm-hmm. take a knife and you cut. So yeah. the question, again, it, to me, it always comes back to the heart. Um, you know, the, the, to me, there's not much of a difference between the temporary nature of birth control or the quote-unquote permanent nature of birth control. What, <clears throat> Why are you doing what you're doing? Express that. Um, you know, I don't think you can chapter and verse this stuff. Well, you know, Second Corinthians four two says blank, and you know, Revelation right. one says this. So I just think at the end of the day, we're all going before God. We should be going before family and friends and trusted people and, and mm-hmm. having having these conversations. Um, so that's how I've come to yeah. answer that question. I say you you can't really pin something on me. I mean it. It's got a lot of rhetorical pop when a person says, "So are yeah. you are you for permanently mutilating your body or not?" Uh, <laughs> I'll say, you know that, that it reminds me of the yes or no. Do you still beat your wife? Question. Yeah. Um, well, how wide how wide do we cast the net? Do we uh, now say that having a tattoo is mutilating your body? Right. Um, I know some. Your I know some people that say it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. But uh, uh, having a, uh, a very small, tasteful stud in your earlobe, is that uh, mutilating your body? Right. And, of course, some of it becomes extreme with, you know, nose rings and, you know, all the other stuff. But, you know, uh, I think once you open the door to condemning one aspect of surgery or mutilating your body, you know, you've got a whole array of issues you have to deal with too it's not simply we're dealing with vasectomy or getting one's tubes tied yeah yeah and that's now dave i will say uh when you got your belly button ring I, I was a little uncomfortable uh when you came here and you preached in a half shirt i just thought that was <laughs> that was maybe flaunting your liberty a little bit um it, it may well, be what? uncomfortable why is it that that's the most widely watched video on your <laughs> Oh, I can tell you why. Uh, it's, it's the rubbernecking phenomena. You know, I, ha- I have to watch this wreck on ninety five coming up. Um, no, I think that's a, um, a, a that's a fair question to ask. It's always the question, and this we come back to on this podcast a lot. On the sort of where do you draw the line? 
we did one recently on uh, pastors, whether or not they can be reinstated after adultery, etc. Right. And uh, you know, Nathan and I were talking on our drive-in this morning after we picked up our Dunkin' Donuts. Um, we, we, we were just talking about that, that at, at what point uh, do you draw the line? And I'm not saying these are easy decisions. And I, I'm certainly not saying that uh, there's no variance in every situation. I think there's a large, right. large degree. But there is a sense in which, you know, does a pastor have to weigh in with his elders every three months to make sure that he's, uh, he's not, you know, treating his body uh, improperly and, uh, you know, has he gained weight? Uh, notice I'm talking about theoretical things. I don't want that to yeah. happen here. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, a pastor, is he, is he proud? Is he arrogant? Uh, is, you know, uh, a pastor... Um, um, irritable with his children when his favorite sports team loses. I'm thinking about things again theoretically. Um, you know that, in other words, at so, at what you know, it, it all comes down to at what point do you draw the line? And that just gives me a desire to speak very carefully about these things um, and not have these hard and fast principles that are unyielding. And I think, Dave, that's I know you pretty well. I, I have a feeling you're in that same camp. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off, Dave. We know uh, we want to be aware of your time and when you need to be off. So, uh, guys, we're right around that 50-minute mark, so it was a good podcast. So, um, Thank you. Thank hopefully, you for the uh, early hour, Nathan. And yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Hopefully the Orioles we, uh, are dead. Long live the yeah. Ravens. <laughs> yeah. Dude, quick word on that, Dave. I mean, wow, since you brought it up. I mean, I haven't even watched for weeks now. It's been so bad, but I, I – hear the highlights on the fan coming in every morning. And, uh, man, I, I, my personal belief, I'm going to quote my friend Scott Perry on this, I hope that Dan Duquette, I don't know if you feel this, is fired, fired yeah. two minutes after the season ends and, yeah. he, and he doesn't let the doorknob hit him in the way out the door. That's that's my <laughs> thought. I don't know if you share that, Dave. Yeah. Well, uh, I think there's some truth to that. I wish Peter Angelos could get fired, too, because – you know, his unwillingness to spend money still, I think, is hamstringing the organization. But yeah. Yeah. although he's loosened up some, I, you know, I think it's, I think Duquette is a problem and that's really showing up this year, but I think it goes deeper than that. I do too. I do too. Yeah. We had to get that in Nathan. Hey, no yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casbah. Rocked it. He's gone to 11.